Welcome, everybody, to episode 17 of the Book Exchange Podcast, wherein two identical twin brothers take on the world, at least the world of books, maybe to scale that back down a bit. Uh, this is John Lovell coming from Maryland. As always, I am joined by my co-host and, as mentioned, identical twin brother, Mr. Jude Joseph Lovell, who's in Pennsylvania. Jude, how's it going? Good, John. How's it going with you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, excited about this episode we have coming. We're just going to jump right in. Um, what is today's episode? Well, this is the second in a, in a kind of an ongoing occasional series that we want to do on this show uh, in which we dedicate an entire episode to a, a book that we'd like to dive into more deeply and have uh, sort of an extended discussion and, and review. So uh, way, back, back, way back on episode six, uh, we reviewed a novel by Richard Powers, the acclaimed novelist Richard Powers called The Overstory. Uh, that was getting a lot of, that's been getting a lot of buzz and a lot of people have been reading over the, over the last couple of years, I would say. So this is our second uh, episode length uh, book review. And today uh, we are going to be focusing on the debut novel of a young novelist named Tommy Orange who is a Native American novelist out of California. His, his debut novel is called There, There. And uh, it, it came out, I, I guess, maybe in 2018 or 2019. It's, it's, it's recent. And it just kind of like arrived with basically a thunderclap. It's uh, uh, really a, a strong debut that seems to have connected with a lot of people. And a lot of great things have been said about it since it's been out and it really uh made a big splash so that's uh that kind of caught our interest and there are other reasons why we're interested in the novel as well so today's episode is going to be all about tommy orange's debut novel there there really looking forward to digging into this discussion with you jude um do you have any we're going to talk about the book but uh do you have any general comments or administrative notes to say before we get started uh, yeah, I'm going to say a couple things. I'm excited about the episode also. It's going to be back with you. Um, there, there came out in 2018. I looked it up. <laughs> um, so just to let people know, at least the original, you know, the first edition came out in 2018 and it's going to be interesting to discuss this one. I do want to say, I know you're going to laugh at this, but, <laughs> but I want to make a, uh, I do have an administrative note. I just want to make a brief correction from, um, our last episode where we were talking about debut novels. Uh, my brother and co-host here, John, pointed this out to me. I, I was talking about a Welsh writer, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I happened to refer to the island to to Wales as a windswept island. <laughs> and, uh, John pointed was a little off in my geography, and that um, Wales is not an island. Uh, it may be windswept, but it's not an island, and it's uh, not all that little, I guess. Um, I was ignorant about that. I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure where I. Went astray there. Maybe I was getting mixed up with Ireland, but I just I'd like to apologize to all all our listeners in Wales, and I I don't think we have any. <laughs> but I but 
just by pointing that out, I, I, I felt a little silly and, uh, you know, that was wrong. So I just like to, I just like to point that out. But, um, other than that though, John, Oh, and I was going to say, maybe you were going to say this, but on the last episode, we kind of screwed up on the introduction and we, uh, we messed up with the, we usually have an intro song from the hold steady and that didn't manage to get onto the last episode. So, uh, that was a technical error. So sorry to everybody for that. Um, it's part of what gives our podcast its own little flavor. Yeah. But, <laughs> so those are, yeah, those are pretty minor notes, but beyond that, no, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm excited to get into this, this discussion of this particular book. And I, I, I might just also say like we, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. We had a great time. We always intended to do drill downs. And we said this in episode six to do drill downs in this podcast about individual titles. And um, we had a really good time. And I think a very rich discussion around the overstory back in episode six, um, very rich novel. This one is too. So I'm just, I just wanted to express my excitement, John. <coughs> into another novel this is a very different book and we'll get into why and the whole experience is different but it's fun to really unpack one particular book so i'm excited about doing that oh yeah same here and then and you you've mentioned this to me you know kind of uh outside the recording but you know we intend to do this not only with novels by the way but we'd like to do this with other you know maybe non-fiction books and every as i said on an occasional basis you know, um, and the intent is to kind of focus on a book that is being read a lot or maybe there's a lot of talk around or maybe controversy or whatever. Just kind of pick up on some of those currents in the culture. And uh, the first couple uh, novels that were taken on here, I think, I think fall into that category nicely. They're definitely books that uh, have made an impression on people and uh, are, are about interesting subjects that you don't uh, think about every day. I mean, there's other connections, too, but uh yeah, so that's what we intend on do. We'll we'll do this every now and then. And um, with this one in particular, we talked about in, the, in our previous episode, which is about debut novels. This kind of makes a nice little, almost like a like a sequel in a way. So we happen to talk about some of our favorite de- or some noteworthy debut novels. Not not always our favorites, um, but and this is a debut novel uh, from a new novelist that neither of us have read before. So that's this kind of a, a fun, you know, through line there and some continuity. But yeah, other, made some sense. Yeah. Other than that, I, I suggest why don't we um, we'll just take a quick break here and then we'll come back and talk about what we're reading uh, currently and then we'll take it from there. OK, that sounds good. So uh, our regular listeners know, you know, towards the beginning of every episode that we do, we always like to discuss what we've been reading lately. So we're going to do that now. Jude, why don't you lead off? Yeah, I'm excited to share that. Um, John, as you know, I'm in I'm in uh, I'm in the midst of one of my great reading traditions right now. Um, So every year I have this little personal mini literary festival that I call Dickens Fest. And every year, I, I, it ranges from, it's usually towards the end of the year, but I've noticed it ranges from even the late summer, and uh, once or twice I didn't get it in before, and I was actually reading it in early January of the following year, but we won't tell anybody. Um, 
because it's an annual thing, but it's usually in the fall sometime. And um, I won't go into the details. I think I've mentioned it before, and you know the story very well, but you know, 20 years ago, it was the year 2000, it was around the presidential election season. I happened to go to England with a friend of mine. The friend that I went with, it was my first time to, Engl- to London, England. The friend that I went with was a big theater buff. He cajoled me into taking a, a tour of the city of London, a walking tour in London that was Charles Dickens themed. And it, it just so happened that for this book exchange that you and I have, John, as you, as you well know, we did a book exchange before I went and he gave me one of the books that John gave me that year it was our 30th year. It was the year 2000. One of the books John gave me was a tale of two cities by Charles Dickens. And I had really not read a ton of Dickens uh, prior to that. Um, in episode 15, where we did the 50 years of reading, I talked about how I didn't read any of the high school books I was assigned. <laughs> so, anyway, making that long story shorter, I went on this walking tour, and it was, and it was led by a, a super small woman, an older woman who was an actor, who was dressed in period gear. And long story really, really short, that tour, along with, I happened to bring that book with me over there, Tale of Two Cities. Those two things together just kind of blew my doors off about Charles Dickens. There was something about where we went on that tour that um, took me around, and this is going to come back in a minute, to different locales where Dickens novels had either been inspired by or taken place. And it just fired my imagination about Charles Dickens and his work as, as I had never had done with another writer really before. And then after that, I was in graduate school at the time, and I had a couple teachers assign me Charles Dickens' works, and I just decided, you know, I think Charles Dickens' worth is Charles Dickens's work is really worth reading and unpacking. And I could, you know, that's for another time why I feel that way. But I decided that every year I would read something by Charles Dickens, and then when I got to the end, I would just keep repeating it until I checked off the globe. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of. I'm in the middle of Dickens Fest right now. I've, I've been through all the novels and some nonfiction work, and I happen to be working through, a, it's a double shot this year. And I got to thank you again, John, because for our 50th birthday, you gave me two short books by Charles Dickens. One was called Pictures right. of Italy, which is an account, Pictures of Italy, which is an account of his travels through Italy with his family um, by carriage, but they stayed for almost a year while he was... Um, he, he, he wrote one of his most famous Christmas stories in Italy called The Chimes. This was in the mid-1840s. I've never read The Chimes. I still have to get to that one. And then he was starting work on the novel Martin Chuzzlewit, which is part, partially set in America. And uh, he took this trip through Italy with his family, his entire family, and, and wrote an account of it. So I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way through that book now. It's really interesting and really good. And then John... For our birthday, you gave me a very slim volume called Night Walks, which uh, was about, this ties back with that walking tour, it was about, um, it's essays Charles Dickens wrote for um, his own publications about walks he would take around the city of London, and that's a very famous thing that he did. He would have insomnia, and his kind of brain would be on fire with ideas, and he would take walks around the city of London for hours, and it fueled his imagination. And he would describe what he saw in the city. And that's part of what became him such a, a, a champion for the common man and for people you know, living in the shadows was these walks. So that's the second book that's coming up. And I, I can't wait to get to that one. But yeah, all hail Dickens Fest. It's really enjoyable. What about yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, 
for Dickens Fest is is one of the most venerable reading traditions that I've ever heard of. Um, when you can, you know, come up with a uh, figure out a writer that that speaks to you that way and just kind of keep going back and plumbing the material and and Dickens has so much. I think that's a, you know, it's like uh, people go back to Charles Dickens Christmas stories, for example, during the holiday season. Obviously, you know, uh, a Christmas Carol being the famous one, but. He's just one of these writers that people just keep going back to, you know, on stage and, and whatnot. And then, you know, you're doing that personally and there's just something there that continues to appeal. But uh, this is a pretty cool I've been, you know, witnessing you doing this for years and years. But this is kind of a, a neat addition this year because uh, it's all nonfiction stuff, which is not rare with him. But it's, uh, you know, obviously definitely definitely lesser known so that it's going to shed some light some different uh, rays of light on, on, you know, what he was doing as an author. So that's, that's great. And I'm glad I was able to contribute along the way to Dickens Fest. Yeah, you were. And just as an interesting side note before, and I know I just kicked it over to you, but interesting side note, I've, I've started to notice because I've read a little more of the nonfiction the last few cycles of Dickens Fest. Uh, you know, it's another discussion, but <laughs> just uh, Charles Dickens had no uh, love for the Roman Catholic Church. And, and I, I noticed that, you know, in his nonfiction, he takes basically every opportunity he can to kind of take a shot at the, the what they might call the papists, you know. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And, and John, oh. you and I are Catholic and, you know, this is not a religious podcast, but, uh, you know, in the pictures of Italy, he t- you know, he takes plenty of shots across the bow. It's pretty interesting. But anyway, that's uh, I just thought that you'd find that interesting. But I, wa- I want to know what you're what you're digging into. Well, the Catholic Church is, as you know, is uh, is many things, but it's a it's a pretty large and lumbering and slow moving target. So that's for sure, yeah, and a popular target. So it's you know it's easy to hit, and uh, but you know it also continues to roll on over millennia. But as you say, this is not a this is not a discussion of religion. I too actually am re- well. I'm cheating a little bit this year because this is, I'm not reading this right now. I actually finished it about a week ago, but uh, you and I have never really discussed it. So I thought I would, I would, you know, for this part, I'll, I'll talk about a book that I just finished. And then, you know, uh, towards the end of the podcast where we talk about what we're going to read, I'll talk about one that I'm just beginning. So just bending the rules a little bit, but who cares? It's our show. We can do what we want. So I finished reading a novel from a British novelist that I know you've heard of. Don't think you've ever read. His name is Jim Crace think I'm saying that right. I'm not 100% sure. C-R-A-C-E. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe it's Krejci. I don't know, but I'm going to go with Krace. Uh He's a writer from England. He's, you know, he's well known as a novelist and short story writer. I, you know, he, he wrote a book that was pretty well known called uh, Quarantine that was about the, the figure of the historical Jesus. Um, I read a, uh, his, I think it was his debut collection, sort of of short fiction called continent that was a really interesting book they were all interconnected stories about a, a fictional continent you know which is a really yeah. well idea. and so that kind of got me interested in him and this is this is a novel of his i've had on my shelf for a while and that sounded interesting to me too but obviously i've never read before it's called being dead uh have you heard of that are you familiar with this book at all I'm familiar with the writer and the name of that book, but I don't, that's about as far as it goes. I've never read him. You're right. So this is a, this is a, uh, in short, I I found this to be a really intriguing and really kind of daring novel, very original. 
not perfect. I had my quibbles with it, but a really interesting premise. And it's about, so it's going to sound really bleak too. And in some ways it is, because it's literally the book in a lot of ways is literally about being dead, literally. So you have an older couple that decides to, they had met when they were young, they're both zoologists and they had met when they were younger scientists. They, they were involved in this week long project on this one particular beach called or Bay called Baritone Bay on the, on the British coast somewhere. And uh, they were a, a bunch of young students got together to do some field work there and lived in a house together. And they kind of met there and fell in love. Um, and they decide 30 years later, they decide to go back to uh, the location on the beach where they kind of they actually sort of consummated their love there. Um, they decide to go back as kind of a romantic gesture uh, you know, 30 years later. So they're like well into their fifties. So they do that at the very beginning of the book and they end up for some reason, you know, who knows why they end up being murdered there on the beach. Somebody sneaks up behind them and bludgeons them with a piece of granite while they're, while they're, you know, kind of sitting there basically in each, in each other's arms. And then what the book does is it, it's very unusual, very, like I said, kind of daring so that it, it has alternating chapters where, in in some of the chapters, it, it, it just literally kind of, tra you know, traces, you know, describes these two bodies as they're in the process of decomposition and what sort of happens to their physical bodies and what happens to the environment around the bodies as they sort of take them over, you know, which is sort of, and there's some interesting layers there because they studied zoology. So it's very kind of very forensic, very detailed at times sort of graphic, but it talks about how essentially these bodies become part of the physical environment before they're found. Then eventually they're found and they have a daughter and the daughter is brought into it. But then, so it has these chapters that are very vividly written, detailed, kind of gross in some places where it talks about what's happening to these dead bodies. And then it, it alternates chapters with, uh, you know, just basically just different scenes from their life together. And, you know, kind of tells you the story of the whole week that they were together when they first met and fell in love and what happened then um, on the same beach. And it, it becomes this it's, it's this very interesting sort of it, it's clearly and overtly kind of a meditation on, on death and our mortality. But it also kind of makes connections between love and death, sex and death Um and also just kind of the physical meaning of death versus what it means in our lives emotionally and spiritually. And um, it's a very unusual brew. You know, it has, as I said, it has some chapters that are get into very vivid details about, you know, the physical aspects of death, death that can be quite, you know, distasteful and almost nasty in some places. But it actually, you know, he does a very skillful job of kind of tracing the lives of these characters and um, a little bit about how they're, it's, it's about their relationship and how over time it, they sort of drifted apart and, you know, why did that happen and, and what happened in their lives that kind of made that, made them that way. And, it, and it's just kind of this very sort of melancholy look at, at uh, this lifelong relationship. Um, with all its different twists and turns. And then, you know, kind of like alongside that is this, is this very vivid and, you know, kind of wrenching account of, of uh, mortality. You know, it's a, it's a really sort of an interesting book. And uh, 
I don't know that it would be for everybody, but by the end of the book, you know, I, there's enough to it that I, I really admired about it. I thought it was a bold, I certainly never read a book like it. It has a structure uh, that I've never really come across in a novel because it, you know, it's very sort of, it's a book about relationships and love, but it also has this very kind of, it's like watching a crime show. It's like CSI or something it has this very forensic side, you know, which is, mm-hmm. it, it's just it, it, an odd mix, but it's an interesting book. So I guess you categorize it under uh, experimental fiction, but by the end I was pretty taken with it. You know, I just never read anything quite like it before. And uh, so, yeah, I think it, it eventually it won me over. It's not perfect and maybe not for everybody, but uh, uh, I found it, I found it worth worthwhile. Yeah, well, um, that's a, it's quite a, it's like you said, that's quite a, I'm just sitting here listening to you. That's quite a blend of different elements. And, uh, but I, I I'm aware that to some degree that, uh, Kraser, I don't know how you say his name either, is kind of a risk taking sort of an innovative type of novelist. And I remember you being impacted a lot by reading that story collection and explaining some of that to me. So it's not, you know, shocking me a ton that he might have a book as kind of odd as this but but having said that i had no idea that that book i've heard of the title like i said didn't know that that's what it was about and that's that's very interesting i i don't know i mean as somebody tries to write fiction there's something to be said for, for an extremely original premise you know when somebody finishes your fiction book and you say well i never read anything like that before that's an accomplishment by itself so that's pretty good that's interesting that you yeah. selected that one yeah, yeah. And it's like, we've talked about this with movies, too. It's like, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know, a movie's worthwhile if it can, if, even if it's a tired genre or premise, you know, just show it to me a different way. If you can show me something I haven't seen before, or maybe just, you know, uh, play it from a different angle or, or whatever, you know, that that often uh, is enough to keep me interested. And this book certainly keeps kept me interested. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's what we've been reading lately. And um, now we're going to take another quick break and then we're going to dive right into the main subject here. So uh, stick with us. All right. All right. So now it's time for the main event. We're going to talk about this debut novel from Tommy Orange, There, There. and I'll just set it up just a little bit. I, I, I you know, like most people, I, I didn't know anything about Tommy Orange. And he really kind of exploded more or less out of total anonymity, you know, uh, when he came out with this book. But it certainly uh, certainly got yeah. noted and it certainly made a, a loud noise. Um, I, I saw, you know, I did a, a little bit of sort of half-assed you know, research going going into this. Um but Tommy Orange was is, is a relatively young guy. He's got a he's, he's got a wife and a young son. Son, so he's a young family. He's um, his mother uh, is white, and his father of a, is of Native American descent. He is, I think it's a, he's a member. Uh, what does it say? He's a member of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma. So he has uh, obviously some Native American heritage, and. Um, he was explained to one interviewer in, a, in an interview that I read that he, he didn't he didn't grow up reading or wasn't much of a student when he grew up. It was only when he got a job, a part time job at a, at a used bookstore, he said, 
Um, but that, it sounded like he just needed the job and he just got to work and he just found himself surrounded by books and he just started reading because that was, you know, he would just, you know, there were slow periods or whatever. He just started picking up books and then he just, he kind of read his way into being a writer, which is interesting. You know, he, he didn't have any formal training, um, but he just started reading and realized, you know, he had a knack for it as a reader, but he also had a great hunger for it. So then, I, you know, I don't know his whole entire life trajectory, but one thing that's worth noting is he somehow he made his way to a MFA program, which my co-host here uh, is also graduate of a Master of Fine Arts program for creative writing. Um, Tommy Orange, though, went to an MFA program that I'd never heard of. It's at a place called the Institute of American Indian Arts. So it's some it's out west. I, I can't I don't remember where it is. But he, you know, went to pursue a master's in creative writing with the with the focus on Native American history and culture. So that's that's very interesting to note. And I, I, I assume that he was working on parts of this book as he went through that program anyway. But he ended up producing this this novel uh, there, there. And it just, you know, it was like we said in the last episode, it just it was a home run. You know, in his first time up, it really caught the attention of a lot of people. And um, we've both read it now. I can certainly say it's, uh, I understand why it's a very arresting and original book. And so that's um, and it, it immediately uh, and who knows why this happens, but it just started, you know, gaining acclaim. It won a number of uh, awards, American awards, um, the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. It won famously the Penn Hemingway Award, which is awarded every year for for a debut novel or or uh, story collection. And uh, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. So this is a novel that really, you know, made an impact in a relatively short period of time. So that's, and now, you know, we've both, we, we had both heard of it. Anybody who's, you know, kind of tuned into, you know, modern fiction would have heard of this along the way in the last year and a half. Right. Uh, we, neither one of us had read it. We've now read it. So, you know, I, I want to, I'm, I'm eager to hear kind of what you thought about it. And, uh, is there anything you want to say before I'm going to I'm going to kind of you know uh, kick the discussion off with a question? But is there any is there anything you wanted to say about the author or the book before we start? Uh, well, just you know, like I think you did a pretty good job setting it up. I would just only add to it. And you told me you, you had a question you wanted to ask to get the ball rolling. Um, you know, and I have my thoughts. Haven't haven't read the book, but I would just say that you know I was aware of it. Uh, much like you were like, uh, so, I, you know, I, I guess I kind of keep my thumb on things in the book world. Like, uh, you know, and all that means is I just like, you know, check the New Yorker sometimes or the New York Times book review or Washington Post or whatever. Pay attention to what's kind of trending. Yeah. And if you do that at all, you couldn't have missed this book when it first came out. It was kind of everywhere. I'd like to know how that happens. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, especially from one of the more I had never heard of the MFA program. He came from either, you know you have the, the big ones like, you know, Iowa writer's workshop or Cornell or something like that. You tend to hear about, or um, the Sarah Lawrence college or something like that. You tend to hear about novels coming from there. Um, I, I'm always fascinated when somebody comes out of one of these programs that you never heard of and they just meet the right people or something. And they just, you know, they just take off. But um, <laughs> so you, you kind of ran into it. I, I did it tiny amount of research it was on the it was one of the 10 best books of 2018 for new york times so it was kind of and i checked that out every year so i 
And I, I noticed it. And then um, you and I both said before we did this, that we had kind of both at least considered it for our annual book exchange. I know I considered reading it, taking it out of the library. Then I had it on like kind of a long list to, to give to you because I had heard so much about it. Mm-hmm. So it was on my radar too, but I, all that having been said though, the only thing I really knew about it was that it had to do with um, native American material or subject matter and that the writer was native American. I didn't know anything else about it all the way up to when you suggested for this. So it was cool to finally get into it and see what it was about. But other than that, no, I mean, I think we can, we can dive in. Okay. And the one thing uh, we'll do that. The one thing I wanted to say is like, in like in the beginning of episode six, we talked about the overstory. Just, uh, I just want to note that we are going to talk about the book kind of from front to back. So, um, you know, we're not concerned. This is an in-depth discussion of the novel. So uh, if this is a book that you think you might read or maybe we've already piqued your interest in it um, or you plan on reading at some point, you know, you may want to go ahead and, and read it first and come back to this podcast later. We encourage you to do that. If you do end up reading the book, please come back and listen to the discussion. Uh, we'd love to have you do that. But we are going to get into kind of the details of the book, you know, front, middle, and back. So I just want to make sure that everybody is aware of that. In case anybody does plan on reading it, you know, we're going to discuss the ending and, you know, everything that happens in there. So that's just a, a mild disclaimer. But all right. So Jude, you know, we've already talked about it. Uh, you know, this is a novel that has been widely hailed and acclaimed. And some of the language that's been used, it's been called an instant classic. It's been called essential reading. You know, you look at the first page of the paperback and you see things like masterful, pure soaring beauty, stunning, heartbreaking, brilliant, furious, the story of America. You know, so this is a novel that really has been gaining some, has gained some incredible acclaim. So I'm not going to ask you, you know, whether all these labels or proclamations or hype are deserved or not. My question is more, you know, I'm asking you kind of personally as a reader, now that you've read the novel, do you, do you consider this book to be, you know, quote unquote, an important one? And what I mean by that is not, not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, in, in some kind of cultural proclamation like I was just talking about, but now that you've read it, you know, do you want, do you, do you feel a desire to have other people that you know read it, whether they're people in your family or friends do you feel the urge to share it um and do you feel like uh this is a novel that you know is not one to be missed in some way or not you know, and that's kind of how i wanted to, how i wanted to set this up to you uh do you have that feeling now that you've read the book um <laughs> uh, it's hard for me john like, like i've been looking forward to this discussion um you know, and especially the way you phrase that question, I, I, I was I went back and listened to our review of the or, overstory, and I asked you a question to start that discussion, and you said kind of yes or no. You were yeah. like, "Ah, oh, that's a hard one for me," and then we kind of went from there. That's exactly how I feel about your question. Okay. Um, do I feel it's important? I mean, I, I would make some distinctions right out of the gate. You, you, there were two questions there that that stuck out to me from your setup. One was, "Do I feel it's important?" The other one, "Do I feel it's something not to be missed?" Okay, yes to the first one and no to the second one, or not necessarily to the second one. Okay. And, and that's, therein lies the crux of my whole reaction to this book. Um, 
I think it's I think it's very important. I think this this book is important in the sense that it is important to tell the story, the stories, which was a big word and theme throughout this novel stories and, and this and the story yeah um of native americans i feel that has been done often before um but this is kind of a definitely um sort of updated version of telling those stories and it's also one thing i noticed i'm sure you did it's one of the few and i haven't read it i'm not an expert on native american literature you know so nothing i say can be considered decisive or definitive or anything like that same here yeah but i know i haven't i know i know i haven't read a native american novel or work of fiction maybe non-fiction that that is as concerned with the plight of urban native americans mm. in our in our cities so to answer your question i think it's important to tell native american stories and uh the prologue of the book which we'll get into sort of lays out a lot of thinking points or talking points that get you thinking about why that's important um, but at the same time, I don't know if I consider this novel not to be missed. I, I struggled with this novel in some ways. Mm. So, um, and I had a different reaction from most of the critics, I believe, and maybe from you. So let me leave it there for the, and, and volley it over to you. That's how I'd answer the question. And, you know, what do you, what do you think? Well, I came away and I agree with you that obviously, uh, you know, the telling of Native American stories and writing about Native American history, especially from their own point of view, is obviously very important. Um, mm -hmm. But I came away with a distinct feeling that this is a book not to be missed. Um, and that mm -hmm. this is a book that I would like to, you know, if I had my brothers, I would share with as many people as I could. Uh -huh. because I, and, and again, I'm like you, I have, I've read a few other works of fiction from native American writers. I've read a handful of books about native Americans in this country and their, you know, their awful and tragic history, but not a lot. I'm not an expert. I'm not, not an academic and I'm not steeped in that material, but I had never read anything about native Americans in an urban environment. Period. Yeah full stop. So this is an entirely new uh, reality for me that I felt, uh, Frank, that Tommy Orange, I think, you know, very vividly brought into my world, you know, right, put it right up on my screen and got me thinking about, and I think he does a masterful job of tying. And I'm not, this book is, it, is it a masterpiece? That's a huge word. You know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say that about a debut debut book for anybody because you don't know what they're going to come out with next, you know? So how could you say this is their masterpiece? It's their, it's the only thing they put out, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I hesitate to use that word, but uh, I think he does a masterful job. And, and this is to me is like, if I could choose one thing that really makes it important and makes it uh, a really valuable book is that he ties modern and urban native American experience back into the history of Native Americans in this country. The history that we, if we know anything about Native Americans, we know a little bit about that. But, you know, I use the word no in quotes because it's, you know, we get it through movies, essentially, or TV. You know, uh, maybe a little bit of reading, but, and maybe our history books. But, you know, people picture, you know, Indians, uh, 
native, and this is another difficulty, you know, should we even call them Indians? And he, you know, has many passages in this book that talk about, you know, how they're referred to even amongst themselves, you know, it's a very tangled history. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think, you know, most of us picture, I'm just going to say for people in our generation or around our age, you know, dance with wolves, you know, or, or that kind of a image, you know, uh, galloping on a horse with, with feathers streaming behind them, maybe holding a lance, maybe, you know, uttering a war cry, uh, shooting a bow and arrow. And that's kind of your picture of what a Native American is. Well, this book, if nothing else, gives you a very, very different picture of what a Native American is, especially right now. And I thought it was, I just thought it was ingenious in that way. But again, we'll get into this, not saying the entire book was just pure genius, but to be able to tie that, that current Native American experience, which is so clearly part of his own life, you know, into that history, I thought that to me is what, what did make it stand out and what did make it seem like, you know, this is, this is a story that needs to be heard that, that people should, should know. So I guess, you know, that was kind of my overall impression of it. We're probably going to get into some of the mechanics and whether certain things work or not. There is, there's one aspect of the book in particular, uh, that I definitely had some issues with, but that was my overall impression. So maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit different than yours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even like, I, I'm really, I'm, I find this whole discussion a little fraught, but not in an unpleasant way for me. Um, I'm just going to struggle throughout to kind of try to find my way to deliver my impressions without either, you know, being condescending in some way to this writer or, the plight of native Americans in general. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And, you know, and, and, uh, but there's a lot of, you know, I I have, I'm to some degree, I'm quite surprised at the universal reaction to this book in a way I'm not, but in a way I am, because I just, I like their, their words that you, that we're bringing up and that I've seen in some of my research, like masterpiece and genius, you know, yeah. Um, you know, brilliant, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, I, to me, I don't feel that those apply to this book. This, this book feels to me like, and I'm sort of, you know, you see all the reviews and I read a couple of them from some of the best critics in, you know, the United States. And they were much more like, you know, what we're saying, like they were very effusive. And I thought, well, you know, they must be right. I must be wrong, you know, but, but I'm just, you know, I'm going to try to like, you know, I'm going to try not to, um, you know, fall back on that kind of feeling necessarily in order to, you know, express my true opinions. But like, you know, I didn't feel that with this book. Like I, I felt it feels to me, it feels very much like a debut novel. And I, I have to say, having been through an MFA program and seen a couple of novels that were workshop pieces with some of my students, my students, my, my colleagues in the program, and in a couple rare cases turned into debut novels that were successful this feels to me like that, like something that was worked on for a while and then was kind of shaped by a lot of people into, and I'm not knocking Tommy Orange. I mean, I think there's, I can get into, um, I, there are a lot of superlatives about this book and, you know, I, I, I admire what he's achieved Yeah, just you know, as a liter in a, as a literary matter, not only just about for native Americans, but it's interesting, John. And as I boot it back over, 
I, I sort of even I'm not even sure I'm on the same page with you about what you said, though, about tying it into history. Like. And I, I'm trying, you know, I can't, I'm not sure I'm going to say all this stuff well, but like for me, like I know, I mean, there there's a prologue in the book that brings up different episodes from Native American history. Yeah. And the, the prologue and the epilogue of the book are interesting because they're told in this collective we voice. Like the kind, like the same voice that you mentioned uh, for the for the novel. Then we came to the end of the last episode. Yeah. But then anyway, um, like a collective voice, and um, the those things were in there. Like there was a there was an you know you might have more to say about the prologue, but there's a prologue that goes through certain elements of Indian history, but also ties in things like Dances with Wolves and uh, Mel Gibson's Apocalypto, even yeah. and like you know other stuff like that. But as far as the main body of the novel goes, see, I felt like none of the characters, this may be deliberate. I felt like none of the characters, in fact, I think it is deliberate, really had kind of even a working knowledge of what that history is. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of them seem kind of ignorant as to the depth of their own history. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel, so I didn't feel any of the characters in the book really got into what the history was. The book doesn't really... Aside from the beginning and the end, the book doesn't take any great pains and maybe, again, by design to elaborate on any of the, uh, you know, very richly into the history. So, I, I mean, I think it's there, but I, I feel like you could argue that it's kind of paid its due at the beginning and at the end, mm. but it's not necessarily, you know, really elaborated on much or, or it doesn't take it farther than other works about native american themes does to me i don't know i don't know if i'm saying it correctly no no, no. I, I, it's really interesting um to hear your perspective on it and yours your take on it is a little different than mine first of all and that's interesting in itself but yeah you are the one who and you know this is a small body of people you have been through the, an mfa process and that kind of a program and you know you, you have a different perspective than a lot of readers would have, and for you to kind of like pick up on that and subtle whiffs of that a little bit, I think is really interesting. And I can, I can see it not from my own per perspective. I didn't go through that program like you did, but I, you know, I remember when you were in it. And I remember you told me about some of your experiences, and I think back on the book, and I, I kind of get it. You know, at least on an intellectual level, I get what you're saying. And so, you, you know, you bring a different perspective than I would have and than I, I think that a lot of people would have. And I also, I think, I think, um, uh, trying to figure out how to say this, I, some distinctions could be drawn, you know, uh, in terms of what this novel, the, the importance or the value of this novel between its execution, uh, you know, the, and by that I mean the writing, the structure, you know, the kind of the nuts and bolts of it, and you could debate whether, the writing is top shelf or you could debate whether the certain decisions with the way it's structured were wise or unwise, or maybe just, you know, feel like uh, something a student would do, you know, um, somebody who's mm -hmm. trying to find their voice versus um, kind of the, uh, you know, going beyond the mechanics to, you know, what I feel is sort of the, the grand ambition of the book, which is what I described before, you know, trying to tie this, the experience of modern Native Americans back to, you know, the history that's there 
Um, and you, you mentioned how most of the characters, we should say, by the way, uh, another aspect of this book that I found very interesting was, you know, it has kind of this sort of Greek chorus approach. So you have this, he gives you a cast of characters in the beginning, tells you who's going to be in the book, and then each chapter other than the prelude, and it's not an epilogue, actually. It's an interlude. There is no epilogue, I don't think. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, everything you said is true about those sections. You have those two sections in the book, which kind of take a step back and, try, you know, try to literally look at this from a, a broader perspective. Um, but the rest of the chapters are all, you know, they, it just rotates between different characters and their stories. So just each chapter is named for one of the characters becomes this kind of a Greek chorus. You know, you get all these different voices and it's a big pile of characters with uh, different experiences. And as the book goes on, you start to see that some of their stories are connected. Um, But you mentioned that they don't, they don't, most of the characters don't really seem to be aware or have much knowledge about this history. And I do think that was deliberate. You know, I, I, I picked up on that too, but I don't think, and I'm not sure. I don't think you were saying that's a flaw necessarily, but um, I no, I, no, I wasn't. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a deliberate choice, and I think we see with some of the characters, and maybe with most of them, there this kind of dawning awareness that they're part of this larger community. Um, and I'm some of these thoughts that I'm saying even at this very moment, you know, are, I haven't articulated yet. But the more, and that's why we do these discussions, right, to kind of figure out, you know, what we actually thought of a, of a book that we both, you know, dug into. But um, so, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that uh, I think there's, you know, there's quote unquote genius or, or uh, you know, whatever word you want to use in, in the mechanical side of it, the writing, you know, and that may or may not be there. You know, you wouldn't necessarily look at this book and say, well, it's, it, it, it impacts you like a book by William Faulkner, you know, it's maybe not that innovative in its writing or maybe not, not that revolutionary, but with some of the ideas and some of what it's trying to do and the ambitions that the book has in trying to get uh, as these characters kind of slowly realize that they are connected to this greater story, this greater history and how that's like physically embodied with this um, whole idea, which is central to the book in the plot about the powwow um, and yeah. how Al brings all these different tribes and peoples together in order to celebrate and maybe educate about that collective history. You know, that's the part of the book that I think is pretty ingenious. It's not necessarily the writing or, you know, the, from sentence to sentence or the structure, but it's more, you know, uh, his vision for what he was I think trying to do, he may maybe didn't even what wouldn't have been able to fully articulate it, but to kind of make these connections between, you know, uh, Native Americans of all kinds. And that could doesn't mean just tribes could mean, you know, classes and backgrounds and, and, you know, the homes they come from and kind of make these connections to each other and to the wider, you know, story of Native of, of, indigenous people in America, you know, that, that part of it, I thought was pretty revolutionary. (laughs) I have to say, like, I just didn't, I never thought about that. I, I've never looked at that. It just just kind of opened up a a whole world for me that I never really thought about. So, and I know I'm talking a lot here, but we can, you know, I was going to ask you about the structure that prologue and that interlude. 
you know, how it kind of takes a step back and kind of gives you that history. And we're going to ask you what you thought about it. And it sounds like you have, you know, sort of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe it felt more like a device to you than it did kind of, uh, you know, an essential component of the book. I don't, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to put that, but um, it sounds like you may have had your issues with the prologue and the interlude and what they try to do. Um, yeah. Well, I, so actually, John, I, I think I want to suggest that we take it just a quick step back because uh, it just occurred to me while you were talking, you made a lot of good points. Uh, actually, one of the points you made there um, really is kind of how you never talking is because sort of helping me to understand this book a little better, I think. But um, I wonder if you would mind if I tried, if I took a shot at maybe a 90 second plot synopsis, because I'm recalling some feedback I got from one of our brothers after the last um, review episode where he said, you guys didn't really kind of summarize the book going into your discussion. Yeah. And I feel like even though it works, you know, I don't know if anybody's still hanging on, but uh, do you mind if I kind of take a quick shot at oh. just a quick description of the, of the plot? No, no, no. We should have done it earlier. You're right. And uh, go ahead. I think that's a good idea. Okay. So tack onto this if you want to. Um, I'll, basically this, this book there, there is a, is set in the area around Oakland, California which is where Tommy Orange, I guess, was born and raised. And it concerns a group of maybe nine or ten, I didn't count it, but nine or ten different characters, in a, similar in a way to the overstory, um, which also had a bunch of different characters That's right. um, that, that it wove together. And they're all um, of Native American descent in some way. And uh, although I, one thing that stuck out to me was that, if not all of them, almost all of them seem to be half Native American and half white or half something else. But I'm not sure if that's the case with all the characters. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And so the, what the, the novel kind of tells their stories from their points of view, in most cases, it's first person. Not every case, but in most cases, it's first person. You know, so I did this, I did that. And it, and it alternates between their different stories. And there are people, men and women, and young and old, and they're kind of all, the plot kind of brings them all together. John mentioned a powwow, which is this gathering that's taking place in the community in this novel in a coliseum in Oakland. So some of the characters either work for the organization that's putting the powwow on, which is this, you know, gathering of different American, different Native American peoples from different tribes. Some of the people are organizing it. Some of the people work at the coliseum and maintenance. You know, some of the people have heard about it. And then there's this other group of people, um, Native American characters in the book that decide they're going to rob it you know, to, in order to get some money for basically drugs, Yeah. you know? So, and then the, the book kind of moves forward on all these different characters' stories and culminates with this powwow where there's like kind of a dramatic uh, conclusion at the powwow. How'd I do? <laughs> no, that, that's perfect. Did great. Okay. So the comment you made that, you know, and I'll, I'll briefly touch on that and then I'll get into maybe the structure a little. The comment you made that I thought was interesting was that you pointed out that each of these different characters, and again, they're male and female in different ages, different walks of life, different stages of life. But you said all of them kind of arrive at sort of a dawning awareness that they're part of something larger. I, I think you're right on that. Like that, you know, and I don't know if I necessarily put that together. I did, 
you know, I did say earlier that I did, that they didn't seem to have such a knowledgeable or deep knowledge of what their legacy or history even was. But your comment about them kind of becoming aware of being part of something more and how they react to that, I think, is a big part of this book. And in that sense, I agree with you and the critics that about the importance of the book, it does make you think about, especially as white people, you know, you and I being white guys, stuff that, you know, doesn't enter into our daily life or our thoughts, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, structurally though, John, I, I have to say, like, I, you know, I, I found the prologue, the prologue kind of runs through these different episodes. It's not very long from native American history, but it's sort of, you know, you can tell it's a young person writing the book. They, it intertwines Mel Gibson's Apocalypto and other pop, pop cultural cultural references into this, um, even though it's a collective we voice, into this synopsis of things that have happened and, and all the incidents that it brings up and the tales that it tells are heartbreaking. And then later on, there's an interlude where the same voices kind of come back and comment on things. But I thought as I did with a lot of the rest of the book, I, 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 I did feel it was kind of devicey, you know, or mm -hmm. like, or perhaps even it was suggested that he, you know, tack on a prologue or an interlude. I have no idea. And, you know, like I, again, I don't want to disparage, you know, Tommy Orange has achieved way more than I ever will, you know? So he, he did something really remarkable in this book, but, um, and in that sense, so I had a sense that those were, you know, devices are things he kind of leaned on. I, you know, I thought they were impressive and they were very heartbreaking, but, you know, they didn't, you know, you know, smash me over the head with their genius. And then as it went on, like the, the experimenting with different character voices. Um, and then one of the characters, for some reason, speaks in the second person, but it's only one of them. Um, mm. I don't know why he did that, you know, and I, I noticed that and, and all that I had through all of that in the book, I had this feeling that he was finding his way. In fact, there's even, you know, there's one character, I was going to bring this up later, but there's one character that's a documentary filmmaker um, yeah. who has decided to set up a little post. He, he got some grant money. So when you first meet him, he's trying to get some grant money to tell these, to create a documentary about the stories of Native Americans. So it's kind of like stories of Native Americans within the story of Native Americans, within this book. And um, and he decides, he gets the grand money, and he decides to set up a booth at the powwow. So one of the things that's going on at the powwow is this guy has, a, has like a little booth, and he's recording people telling their stories. And then there was a, there was a line from that character's perspective where he, where he says something like, you know, he's still letting the content direct the vision. And he's talking about the documentary he's making. He's letting the, he's letting the content of, the stories he's recording direct the vision of the film. So he de almost doesn't have really a sense of what his documentary is yet, but he wants to get the stories down. Mm -hmm. And I felt that that was the author speaking there. Cause I felt like it was exactly the same thing with Tommy orange. Like, you know, he may have had like a broader vision, as you said, of what he wanted to sort of work with. But to me, it really felt like throughout the whole book that he was letting the content kind of drive what that vision was. So like it was a process of discovery for him which I think is good. It was obviously very successful, but it doesn't make for like, you know, an ingenious masterwork to me. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I, you know, our minds work in very similar ways. So I was one of the points I was going to make uh, that character. Whoops, <laughs> something just crashed in the room. Pay no attention to that. Um, <laughs> that uh, that character named Dean Oxendine, which is for some reason that that name sounds very pharmaceutical to me. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, some of the names are uh, obviously Native American and interesting in that way, but some of the names are quite interesting in this in this book. But um, and naming itself is a kind of a sub theme of the book. You know, by the way, just as a, as a side note, you know, he, he has this one section, I think it's in the interlude where he talks about it's literally called last names. He talks about Native American last names and you mm-hmm. know, remember, you know, names like uh, stands with a fist and stuff like that, again, from movies we've seen. But I thought it was very interesting when he makes a comment, you know, like a lot of the Native Americans, they just have their last names are just colors because uh, the uh, settlers or the, you know, uh, the American soldiers who, you know, took over the land or whatever, they just didn't care what their names were. And they just gave them random names. So they're like, you're Bill White, you're Joe Black. And then you think the name of this book, the, the author of this book is Tommy Orange. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I, I thought that. Yeah, was- yeah it's like. It's like with African-American slaves, you know, you're Johnson, right. You know, Jackson. That's right. You know, that's right. And I, and, and there's, there's more than one interesting through line between the uh, African American experience and the, uh, and the native American experience. But anyway. uh, Yeah, very much. Yeah. You brought up the documentary filmmaker as one of the characters and I I was going to read a passage actually, and I think it might take too long, but, um, but I basically like you, to me, he was, he was the stand in for Tommy Orange. You know, there's a, there's a point early in the book where he goes before this board to, to ask for funding and he describes a project that he wants to work on. I'm going to read part of it because it, I was basically, you know, I was like, well, this is the book, you know, this is the novel, <laughs> you know, this is, the mm-hmm. guy is very much a stand in whether deliberate or not. I have to believe it was at least somewhat deliberate, but, um, you know, he thanks him for the opportunity and, he, you know, uh, he talks about his own personal history and he says, uh, you know, his his uncle, you know, gave him a video camera. And so he, he says, what I want to do is put a camera in front of other, you know, Native Americans and, and then I'll, I'll transcribe it while they talk if they want. Let them write every kind of story I can collect. Let them tell this, their stories with no one else there, with no direction or manipulation or agenda. A little bit later, he says, I know this means a lot of editing, a lot of watching, and a lot of listening, but that's just what our community needs, considering how long it's been ignored, has remained invisible. I'm going to set up a room down at the Indian Center. What I want to do is pay the storytellers for their stories. Stories are invaluable, but to pay it is to appreciate. And this is not just qualitative data collecting. I want to bring something new to the vision of the Native experience as it's been on the screen as it's seen on the screen. We haven't seen the urban Indian story. What we've seen is the full, is full of the kinds of stereotypes that are the reason no one is interested in the native story in general. It's too sad, so sad it can't even be entertaining, but more importantly, because of the way it's been portrayed. It looks pathetic and we perpetuate that, but no, fuck that, excuse my language, but it makes me mad because the whole picture is not pathetic and there's real passion there and rage, and that's part of what I'm bringing to the project, because I feel that way too, I will bring that same energy to it. You know, <laughs> that's the character yeah. of Dean Oxidine, but that that's that's the novelist. That just feels like that that's what he set about to do. 
And I, you know, we could debate for the rest of this episode, you know, did he achieve that or not? I would say he did, you know, whether, you know, the book has its flaws or whatever, but I, you know, even as I was, even as I was reading that, I thought, well, this is what, this is what the book and the author is trying to do, you know? Yeah. Here's where I'm going to get into trouble, but like, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Cause I, that, that passage stood out to me and I would say to our listeners, that's one of the most striking passages of the book. It's early in the book and um, it's very effective and it shows you, I think you're exactly right. It's basically standing for the writer. I mean, that's how it felt to me. I felt like I, you know, had the ear or, or you know, I had my, you know, the writer had my ear and he was kind of saying what he was doing, but um, I know what you're going to say. I, I know what you're going to say. I don't know how to, yeah. I don't know how to say this, but to the, it also felt to me, like, like I'm trying to put myself now into like, you know, lit agent of the, you know, the, the, the wonder kid lit agent in the New York publishing industry reading counters that from the slush pile and says, Oh my God, you know, this is like, this is just ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. This is personal color, you know, t- telling their story. And this is so important and it's got to get out there. And this is, it's got to go right to the top of the pile, you know? Mm. And, and I, I mean, I, I agree, and I don't know how to say this, I agree that it's very important for this, the story and the material that's in this book to be known. But I also feel like it happens to be right in keeping with the entire publishing industry and exactly what they want, you know, not to disparage the story of Native Americans or, any, or anything like that. And it might be getting away from the book. But what I'm trying to say is I think that, appeal whether you're you know feel like that that you know whether you feel the same way as you know the publishing industry does or not you know that these stories should be told and it's like you know that's what we want to hear now we're like turning a corner in america we want it to be diverse people of color you know um and to hear these stories but to me it it i feel like there's a quality of that that makes people overlook well, to me, we're some of the more, I hate to say this, but like, I wouldn't say pedestrian, but like, you know, beginner, beginnerish aspects of this novel. And I felt, so in other words, I just feel like it was exactly, it's an important story. It was well told and I feel the passion of the writer, but it's also exactly what the publishing industry wants and will put all their muscle behind. Wow. And to me, the literary quality of the book from front to back is not necessarily on par with all the muscle that was behind the book. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. No, no. I, I, well, you're saying a number of things. And um, I, I mean, one thing you're saying is that you felt that at least that passage, but maybe other parts of the book too, uh, I have, the word that keeps coming to my mind is calculated. Like, well, you know, that, I, I w- which is a, that's why you said, I, you know, I'm, I'm on thin ice here because you don't, you don't necessarily want to say that, but that's, Essentially, what you're saying is that, you know, he put a passage in there like that so that it'll be noticed and that the, uh, uh, you know, it, it'll be picked up by the zeitgeist and the publishing machinery and, and picked up and, and moved forward. Well, I would, stop, I would stop short of saying I understand what you mean, and, I, and maybe I am saying that, but uh, I didn't experience that passage as with that level of cynicism, I guess, like I didn't say, oh, my God, this was like really calibrated by Tommy Orange. I feel like I felt Tommy Orange's, I don't know him personally, 
but Tommy Orange, the writer, I felt his passion there. Mm-hmm. But then I also felt all of the machine behind it. I'm not saying it didn't deserve to get published and and all those things. I just feel like, you know, some of some of the response to this book um, or some of the mechanics or the mechanism or the, you know, whatever was working with PR, whatever's working behind this book um, was kind of, you know, oversells some of its, I guess, literary qualities to me. Uh-huh. But at the same, but because I, I was, it was I was reading it, John, and I know I'm saying a lot. I'll turn it back over to you. But as, I was kind of oh, going through, it, and it had, it had so many superlatives, and it was so acclaimed, and it was the best book of the year. The, you know, one of the top five fiction books of the year from the New York Times and several other places, and it was so good, and it was its debut, and it just kind of blew up. And I was like, okay, so what is it? Was it the prose? Not really. To me, the prose to me was like you know serviceable. It has some, there are some nice lines and, you know, I wouldn't mind quoting a couple of them that I jotted down. There were some really good lines, but in general, I was like, is it the prose? Not really. Is it the interesting structure? No. I mean, I feel like I've seen, you know, episodic tales from several characters before, you know, is it the, is it the, you know, um, is it the climax? Cause I'd like, love to talk about the end, you know, and like yeah. the plot itself, like, is it, the, is it that we're going to, and I had end. a lot of pro. I had a lot of problems with the end of the book, or at least a few that kind of made it a shaky enterprise for me plot wise. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, then what is it? And, and, and all I had in my hand at the end of that process was, well, it was these important Native American stories. And it was told from the point of view of urban Native Americans. And I haven't heard that before, but I don't know. I just felt like, you know, I mean, it, it's worth reading. But is it is it, you know, a classic or like, you know, that great? I mean, I would argue it's not. I, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I don't I don't have I don't have the same. I didn't have the same. I didn't walk away with the same impression of the book as you did. But I think, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. I think one of the ways, you know, whether conscious or subconsciously, and it's probably both, you know, uh, you approach reading as a writer, as a, someone who crafts fiction and as someone who thinks about how fiction is made, how the sausage is made, you know, and you're fascinated with that and you do it in your own life, you know, on religiously. So that's kind of to the, at the forefront when you, you know, whether you want it to be or not, it's just, it's there. You're when you're reading a book and enjoying it, but you're also deconstructing it a little bit in your head. And, and that's fine. I'm not saying that's bad or good, but that's just kind of how you approach it. And I don't, I don't quite approach it the same way because I don't, you know, I don't write fiction. Yeah, you don't. So, you know, but it, who am I to say that, you know, you're everything that you felt in response to this book uh, may be valid and true. And I, and I definitely, you know, I don't know as much as, as you do about writing fiction, composing fiction. But I know enough to know, I've read enough to know that, yeah, I would say, you know, it's not the prose that makes this book outstanding if it is indeed outstanding. It's not the structure. The structure has been, quote, unquote, done before. Um, And, you know, I've already made this point. But to me, uh, and it sounds like to to more of a degree than to you, it, you know, the, the, the cultural and actual history behind it and the way he weaves that into the story and he waves these 
way he weaves these characters' lives in with that. And in so doing, he's expressing his own kind of life story in a way as an urban Indian who has, you know, you mentioned that many of them are half native and half white. So is Tommy Orange. You know, a lot of his own stories coming out through this. Um, but I thought he did a really extraordinary job, again, of, of, of weaving in some of the history of these of Native Americans in this country, some of the pop culture. You mentioned the movies. He talks in the beginning about, you know, even popular images that we all know, like the Indian head coin and the crying Indian on TV that I know you remember from when we were growing up, that commercial. Yeah, 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 you're right, yeah. He talks about the Indian test pattern, which I didn't remember, but apparently it was very, you know, you would see it all the time. Why is it an Indian, you know, that they were like, and it's just, you know, you could even go to like the Washington Redskins, Cleveland Indians, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, sports teams, it touches on that a little. Yeah, but like, just as a, you know, I didn't plan it as an example, you know, there's just one, you know, I, I did jot this down because this is the kind of thing that kind of knocked me over a little bit. There's one fleeting moment where one of the characters, her name happens to be Opal Viola Victoria Bearshield, and she's tied into some of the other characters. But she's talking to uh, uh, like a social worker or somebody at the at the Native American Center in Oakland. She picks up this laminated card off the desk and, uh, you know, she flips it around, has a picture of a Native American on the other side. It has it has a, a ledge that says Crazy Horse's Prophecy. So this is something apparently that Crazy Horse said. OK, I don't know if you remember this, but it's just kind of a fleeting moment. Mm -hmm. But. On the laminated card, it says this. And this is what Crazy Horse said. Upon suffering beyond suffering, the red nation shall rise again, and it shall be a blessing for a sick world. A world filled with broken promises, selfishness, and separations. A world longing for light again. I see a time of seven generations when all the colors of mankind will gather under the sacred tree of life, and the whole earth will become one circle again. So that's something that Crazy Horse said, like this wild prophecy that he made. But, you know, first of all, I was just uh, I'm impressed at how he you know, was able to, you know, bring bits of Native American history into the story like that. Secondly, mm -hmm. it's this vision of a sick world and maybe in the coming together of our people can be healing for that world somehow. You know, not Tommy saying that crazy horse said that, you know, back in the mm -hmm. day. And and then you think, you know, the book ends with this. And again, one of the themes that goes through is it like these powwow meetings. You know, what what are these powwows? Well, he describes them, you know, in the book. And, and of course, it all ends with this powwow. But, um, you know, the vision for a powwow is to bring all these different tribes together to try to, you know, celebrate again, celebrate that culture. But maybe even like, you know, bring about healing of some kind for the Native Americans, for themselves, for the white, for the wider society. Who knows? So it kind of just brings this layer. If you know the way the book ends, you know, this layer of kind of poignancy and sadness on the whole thing. But I, I, it's bits like that that I was impressed with. Again, that's not the writing. That's not the structure. That's the way he's able to mine the Native American history and culture and bring it into the present day. That that I came away from the book being impressed with that more than anything else. So 
you know, that, that's, that's my, that's my impression, but you know, and I don't think you would necessarily agree with that as being impressive, but you just, your mind tends to go to the craft and the mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I really like everything you said and it, and it does make me think about it more. And one of the problems I had with my own analysis <laughs> or response to the book was, and there's no way to deny this. Like, uh, like I can, I can synopsize what I was saying earlier by saying I kept reading the book and thinking, can I do better than this personally? Mm-hmm. Or can I do it right, right as well as this or not? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this ain't that much better than what I can do. And so that drove some of my response to the book on the flip side, though, that's a very me response to the book. I have to admit that, you know, and what you're bringing up is, is valid. And I think you're right. I think the, um, especially reading that prophecy from crazy horse, I remember that scene, but also there was, there was somebody else in the book, a younger character named Orville Red Feather, Orville Red Feather. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to get in on his tradition. So he was trying to be to become a native dancer. You remember when he said this? It's just a brief line. He said he was a part of something, something that you could dance to. Mm. And I thought that that was a really nice line that is reflective of what you were saying, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you know, so so. But the points you were just making are are really good ones, you know, like, and I think that does, um, you know, lead to a conclusion that, that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this is a book that should be read by as many people as possible, you know, for that collective vision and, and for that sort of aspirational hope that comes out of this book, which comes out of the native American tradition. Well, here's okay. So I haven't, I think I have a way to kind of both wrap this up and also to make a nice segue to something I know that we both wanted to talk about. Okay, so follow me me on this. I know you'll be able to because, you know, we've been doing this for years. Everything we just talked about. Right. Um, The way, you know, you could argue how effective it is, but the way this book, you know, tries to bring a lot of this history and culture together in some ways in celebratory fashion or to be, you know, one of the I was going to bring this up later. But, you know, uh, one of the blurbs on the book said this. I thought this was really uh, they described this novel as a work of defiance and recovery. So defiance and recovery. So the recovery part is where I'm going with this a little bit. So, and follow me along. I think you'll know where I'm going, but you know, uh, the way he tries to weave in this history and this culture and the way he talks about, it, he describes this one. I'm not going to read it. I wanted to, but we don't have enough time, but there's a section in the interlude that's called powwows and it describes what powwows are and why they're important to this culture. It's very rich. It's short. And I, you know, I hope people don't miss it if they read this book. Cause I thought, I thought, I thought it was fascinating when I read that passage. I thought, well, this is, you know, this is, it's a ray of hope. It's like, you know, bringing all these tribes together and maybe, you know, even the characters in this book, they, you mentioned it, they don't understand their own culture, but they're starting to feel tapped into it a little bit. Maybe this can heal them. Mm-hmm. Most of these characters have broken lives and broken families. Maybe there can be healing. Maybe, maybe it can even heal the wider culture. Okay. So, and Mm -hmm. this person describes the novel as a work of defiance and recovery. So that's all set up to ask you this. Given that that table is set. Well, I won't ask it. I'll say it. I personally was disappointed in a way, the way this book ended and this is where we get in the spoiler territory. To me, it was 
it's supposed to be like a literal heartbreaker ending, but to me it was kind of heartbreaking in a different way. I was just disappointed that this, the ending of this book had to culminate in a mass shooting. I just felt, yeah. I just felt, I know that they happen all the time. I know that they're, they're a part of our culture, but I felt, and I guess I could ask you, do you feel almost like that undercuts a little bit some of what the book itself is trying to do in order to, you know, celebrate and uh, express that maybe this cult, there could be healing found through this hope. I don't know how to say it, but there's, you know, that, that there's, there's to be celebrated in this culture and that it could even be healing in some way, but then it ends with native Americans coming in and shooting their own people and mass chaos and violence and death. And it literally just ends there. So yeah. that's where I wanted to go with, because I know, uh, you know, we could go on and on, but I know we wanted to talk about the ending. Why don't you share some of your thoughts about the ending? Because I, to me, it was, it was sad, but not, you know, it's supposed to be sad from a literary, from a story point of view, but to me, it was sad in other ways. It was just sad that this story had to end with a mass shooting. I'm not yeah, sure I, I mean, loved that decision. Yeah, no, I, I love the way you set all that up. And I think it was really, um, um, excellent the way you described what you were feeling from the book leading up to the conclusion about the meaning of powwows and how maybe these people that are just discovering it and they're tapping into this a little bit from a, from pretty bleak, bleak lives. We didn't even mention there's alcohol use, of course, yeah. there's drug use, and that, you know, this could be a path out of it for them. I thought the end of the book, you know, culminating with the shooting, not I it was hard, it was not heartbreaking but disappointing. Well, it was heartbreaking in the sense of it's being a mass shooting. You know, I thought it was disappointing though on a on one level and then one level beyond that. I agree that I thought it seemed to me like kind of a facile or an easy way to kind of hammer the point home mm. at the end of the tragedy that, you know, seems to be, you know, continuing to recur in the broader story of native Americans, despite the prophecy of crazy horse. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a young, again, you know, all praise to Tommy. Orange. I mean, you know, he's, he's doing fine. He doesn't need my, but I thought it was kind of a young writer's way to wrap it all up. You know, and I, I thought maybe the book kind of called for something that was maybe a little less dramatic and a little more, little more hopeful but that's really hard to do without getting into you know cheese yeah or um so that but but see i think it would have taken a a more experienced and a wiser writer frankly to pull that off but number two i thought that the whole conclusion was very disappointing just from a pure realism point of view it lost me uh, you know, and this is this is where we're really getting into spoilers. But the, the, these guys had like two or three guns that they had um, produced on these three D printers, yeah. So as to get them through the metal detectors. Now, I, I've never. I have to admit, I've never. I should have looked it up. I've never seen a gun. I know you can do it, but I've never seen one that was printed off from a three D printer. Yeah. And there were some sections that talked about it. But, John, I don't know. I really want to know if you notice this. I mean, when the shooting started, it turned into this massive hail of bullets. And I thought, well, wait a minute. There's like three or four guys with 3D printer guns. The bullets are flying everywhere. 
not only that, and I'm like, are they submachine guns that you print off on the 3D? <laughs> and then I thought, and not only that, but like people, but they, they, it would describe actions. And I don't want to see nitpicky, but it would describe victims going down. And it was like, he took one bullet in the chest, two more in the lungs, two more in the leg. And the bullets just kept flying and flying and flying. And I thought, this is, wait a minute, this is from like three, I think like three or four 3D printed guns. <laughs> And a sock full of bullets, and it lost me. Like I, 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 I felt, and, and it was a big part of my reaction. To the book. I was trying to appreciate everything that had gone into it, and I did. But then I thought, well, let's get to the end. And in the end, I thought, stumbled at least, stumbled if not fell apart on just pure realism. I didn't buy it. Credibility. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it really did for me, and I, and I, I really wondered if you had the same thought. No, not, not to the same degree. No. And this is one of these things, like the tables are turned now. Like I'm starting to feel like, did I miss something? You know, like, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, I really, I didn't focus on that. You know, the number, Mm -hmm. and I know you weren't sitting there literally counting bullets, but you know, I didn't, I didn't really think about that. I didn't think, uh, I didn't count how many people were shot. And the mechanics of how a 3D gun works, I kind of went with it. But maybe, you know, when you describe it, though, it, I, I get it. You know, it's like, uh, I, and, I, and I don't know, I've never seen a, a gun printed from a 3D printer. That that part of it alone was kind of an interesting aspect of all this. But like, yeah, I agree. Like yeah. you say, it was, it was, you know, deliberate because they need to get through the, the guns through the metal detector. I have seen a 3D printer that produces, you know, things out of plastic or some kind of plastic composite. So it's pretty interesting. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't get too tripped up on how many bullets were flying. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, I, and I don't know if like, you know, I mean, and it's interesting, John, like as we dive deep into books like this, especially novels and fiction, I mean, you know, was I primed by that point because I was disappointed by other things in the book to be looking for flaws or because I'm a writer myself, was I, do I think I'm better than him? Or like I was, you know, feeling that more as the book went on or, you know, am I right? Either way though, I would argue, John, that I think, you know, again, it may be harsh, but it's a writer's job, you know, the novelist's job to sell it, you know, like, and, and, to, and to make it work. And I felt like this didn't all work. And, you know, if you want to be really cold at the end of the day, like for me, a book that I did not find to be kind of like, you know, outstanding on a few different levels, it didn't help. You know, that the end of the book to me was like, it seemed kind of rushed and and not very realistic. Although I would say, you know, it doesn't take away from all those things, especially the things that you've been talking about. Yeah. And. You know, and I think it takes a writer, a reader like you to help bring some of those things out. So, like, you know, it's a good discussion. It is. And I think, um, you know, we both we both kind of brought different different sensibilities and angles to it that the other wouldn't. Not that you wouldn't have thought of some of what I brought up or vice versa, but just different different ways of looking at, you know, the way fiction works. But, um, yeah, so you know, and we, I'm going to try to wrap it up here because, you know, we could go on and on and on, but, um, no, I agree. But I, I think, 
yeah, we both had different reasons to be disappointed with the conclusion a little bit. But again, I, I felt just from a, again, this, I don't have, maybe it's a little bit more facile of a point of view of, on fiction and the way it's structured than you, but I just thought the ending was very abrupt. First of all, uh, you know, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of ended, you know, people were shooting and people were lying on the ground and then the end. And I just, again, I'll just say that I, I felt like some, you know, the, some of the hope or, you know, the optimism that maybe could, could have been gleaned or, or were, were present in the book got sapped away a little bit at the end by the way that it ends just in this flurry of violence. And that may well be what, what he wanted to do. Maybe he really wanted to end on that kind of cynical note, but it, it just, it just felt to me like it undermines a little bit of what some of the, some of the, some of the beauty and, and the value in the book were for me is just that it, 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 you know, it kind of helps you to be aware of this history you know, you get invested in these characters, you get, you know, you root for them, you want them to overcome their struggles. And then especially like the young kid who's, you know, just is just tapping into his native heritage and thought it was interesting that, you know, he would practice dancing in the, you know, with the full regalia on in the mirror and even his own people would make fun of him and like, you know, not just his right. brothers or whatever, but like his mom or like, you know, people would just laugh, but he felt something. He felt that he was tapping into something and then he's one of the victims. Like, I just thought, gosh, I mean, isn't the history that you've been describing for the whole book heartbreaking enough? Like, and, and and he does such an effective job of describing why that's so, but it's just, it's just felt like me. It's too bad that you, you cut your own character down. Who's just starting to tap into that history. You know, I, I don't know. It was just, uh, I thought that was kind of harsh and, and um, maybe that's the point he was trying to make, but it, it just deflated me a little bit, but in general, I, I was very impressed with the book for the reasons I've already said. And I, I think there's a lot there to admire and I would still recommend it to people in terms of shining a light on the richness of native American culture and also the just the sufferings that they've gone through as a people have not been well illuminated, even compared to African-Americans, other minorities in this country. And they were here first. You know, it's really a shame that those stories aren't, aren't more known. And for that reason alone, I think the book is, is important and is valuable to kind of uh, shine some light there. Yeah. And I would just say by way of concluding my thoughts on it, John, I'll go all the way back to the beginning. Do I think it's an important novel? Yes. And I think people ought to read it. If you're looking for the all-world, all-time classic that some of the critics and newspapers and whatever have described it as, um, including in the write-up for the New York Times Best Fiction of the Year for 2018, it, it was a very brief little paragraph about it, but it brought up Chaucer and it brought up As I Lay Dying by Faulkner. Two examples of sort of groups of people on the road to something. In my humble opinion, it is not on par with those with those works. Mm. But if you are looking for an important, you know, um, a worthwhile read novel that concerns the plight of Native Americans and particularly urban Native Americans, and you have any interest 
and what's going on with them, you ought to read this book. That's what I think. Wow. Well, I, I would agree with you there on that last. I mean, I think that that is an exaggeration to put this on the same level as something like Chaucer. Um, I mean, that's just yeah. that's just um, you say it was New York Times. That's like New York Times. I hyperbole there. But uh, yeah, I read it and I was like, no, I mean, I, I'm sorry. That's where I'm going to put my flag down on the no column for this. Right. But, you know, I think of, even though they're vastly different books, something like um, J.D. Salinger's uh, Catcher in the Rye. In terms of the, the stories have nothing to do with what, whatsoever, but, in, you know, a young voice is kind of expressing, uh, you know, announcing themselves to the world. There's much more of a cultural layer and historical layer on this book than there is a Catcher in the Rye. But I'm just thinking of like kind of an in, you know, a young voice that announces itself with a, with a first novel that really burrows into somebody's pain. You know, it reminds me of that a little bit. I would put it more on par with something like that. Like there are better books than a catcher in the rye, but it certainly was, you know, made an impact, you know? Um, Yeah. And I would, and I would make one other point to all of our listeners. I can't remember if this is a novel or not, John, so you can help me out, but just an interesting comparison would be to go back if if you have not heard of the book called Housemaid of Dawn, it's the it's I, I would say that it was a announcement kind of first book from a previous generation. Um, there was a Native American writer named M. Scott Nomaday or Momaday. I can't remember if it's Momaday or Nomaday. I think it's with an M. Um, yeah, John, do you remember if that's a novel or a memoir? It's a novel and I've read it. Okay, I have too. Um, my aunt gave it to me. It would just be, I'll just put that little bug in the minds of our listeners. That's a debut Native American theme novel from a previous generation. Of a, and it's a ve- horse of a very, very different color. And it would be interesting to read that in, in sort of along with this. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to, we don't have time to really go into them all now, but I did want to at least mention that, you know, he's not, there is a tradition of, of Native American writers, fiction, um, and also some notable books about the Native American experience that I think are worth recommending at the end here. That's certainly one of them. I know one of the through lines there is that that's similar is that uh, the, the main character in that book, I believe is a, is a Vietnam veteran that is coming mm. back from mm-hmm. Vietnam. And so he's got the trauma of the war as well as his own, and it makes connections between the two. So that there is a comparison there. And that's it. As you said, that's a book from a previous generation, but right. well worth looking into. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a great, that's a great pick. And there are a few others notable. There's a book called ceremony by someone named Leslie Marmon Silco, which is a book that I have, but I've never read um, mm. a very mm-hmm. well-known native American novel. Uh, James Welch is another Native American novelist uh, of some repute. He's got a book called Winter in the Heart, Winter in the Heart, and also Fool's Crow. These are well-known books. So uh, I would; these are all books that I would like to read. I've read House Made of Dawn, but none of the others I've mentioned. Um, and then, of course, there are two well-known novelists uh, in America right now. One is named Louise Erdrich who I think has Native American blood in her, but she, many of her books are written about Native American peoples and they're widely claimed. And then there's a writer, Sherman Alexie, um, who I know you've heard of. Uh, 
and has written a number of the Lone, R- the Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven is one of them, which is a great title. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I just have to shout out a couple other books that uh, speak to the Native American experience. One is a famous one called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by Dee Brown. You may remember, too, that her dad had that on his shelf. Um, you remember that? <laughs> that was a book that he owned? Yeah. Yeah, I do, but I sadly I I must admit I never read it. So I've read that one. That's a really good one. That's kind of a seminal book about the Native American experience. And I've always wanted to read, but never have. There's a book called Black Elk Speaks, which is basically the words of Black Elk, who was a native, I think a Sioux chief, um, who speaks about his experiences with the white man coming in. And anyway, these are and there are many others, but these are these are a number of. Uh, recommended books that uh if you're at all interested in the native american experience would be worth looking into yeah yeah i agree yeah and with that um unless you had anything else to say i'll just we'll just take a quick break and and we'll kind of wrap up the show after this yeah let's do that All right, Jude, so just to wrap up, we're going to do what we always do, and you know what that is, but let's talk about what's next on our personal reading agendas, so to speak. Um, what do you have coming up next for your reading? Well, I'm really excited about this. Well, I technically, you know, it's like you said earlier, you're cheating a little. Next, technically for me, is the book Night Walks, part two of my uh, mm-hmm. Dickens Fest. But at, at the, that's a short volume, though, and after that, I, I didn't tell you this. I told you about it, but I didn't tell you I was going to have it up next. I'm really excited. I like big books, and, and, I, and I cannot lie, right? Um, so I, I'm i going to be taking on a book that I received for my 50th birthday from my daughter, my oldest daughter, Corinne, who's right. 17 years old. Um, she gave me a book called Barkskins, and it's written by uh, Annie Pruel, Pruel or Prol. I don't know how to say that, P-R-O-U-L-X. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes she goes by E Annie Pearl, you know, but anyway, um, I know you've read Annie Pearl, some of her Western stories. She's, I read her, I've only read her once and it was literally like 25 years ago. She kind of burst onto the scene. It wasn't her first book, but she won the Pulitzer prize way back in like 92 or 93 for a novel called the shipping news that was set in uh, Newfoundland. Yes. And I read that. At the time, I, I don't remember it very well. Ever since then, she's kind of been in my radar, but I've never read her again. But you read some of her stories a few years ago that were set in the West. She has, uh, I think, three volumes of short stories set in the West. Wyoming. And they made Yeah, they made a big impression on you. Um, That's right. And anyway, a couple of years ago, she came out with a, a really big and ambitious historical novel called Bark Skins, all one word. It's basically about these two immigrants that come over from Europe and try to ingratiate their way into the American frontier. And it's uh, uh, a long work that spans over 300 years in the history and descendants of these two people. And as I understand it, it intertwines with the story of the West, but it also intertwines in particular with deforestation and the um, 
kind of, you know, uh, I was going to say raping, but it's a little, a little rough, but it's sort of like the, you know, the clearing away of the land. Um, and um, it's the kind of book that I really like taking on. It's very ambitious. I think some critics didn't like it, but most critics did. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I haven't read her for 25 years, so um, it's going to be cool. So that's what I'm reading. Well, that's an awesome choice. So, so first of all, shout out to Corinne, your daughter. Great choice, Corinne. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's a book that we've talked about before. But in fact, I, I believe you gave me a copy of that book uh, a year or two ago. Um, so that shows you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you've been interested in it for a while, and yeah, I was really blown away by the volume of. Wyoming stories that she wrote as you know I've spent a little bit of time in Wyoming um so I kind of picked up an interest in it along the way uh and they, they those are just amazing stories uh so she's a really powerful writer and I think that's going to be that's going to be awesome look forward to hearing about it you know in our own conversations and in future episodes maybe so um and what I'm reading, what I'm going to be reading, I'm actually already reading it, like I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, because I finished the Jim Crace novel, you know, about a week ago. And I haven't, I haven't talked to you about this at all, but certainly a writer you're familiar with, and not only familiar with, but have brought up on this show a number of times. I'm reading Thomas Merton, and I'm reading his, specifically, I'm reading his Asian journal. So, which I don't, think, oh. yeah, I don't, have you read that? I know you have a lot of interest in Merton, but have you read the Asian Journal? No, I have a, I have, I have our father's copy of it. Unless oh, wow. you're going to say you have our father's copy of it. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm, yeah, it's so funny you bring that up. I, I love Thomas Merton, as you know, and I've, I've um, thought so much the last couple of years about picking up that book specifically and reading it. I think it mo- it's got to be fascinating. I know it's big. It's got to be fascinating. And so I'm really, I'm jealous, but I'm, uh, I salute the choice and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Yeah. It, well, so far it really is. And it's, um, you know, if you know anything about Merton's, you know, past or hit, well, Merton was interested in Eastern philosophies and culture and religion in particular for a long time. I actually didn't know that it went back to his years as an, as a student in Columbia university in, in New York city. So, it, you know, predates his ever being a monk or a, you know, Trappist or anything like that, uh, his interest in it. But uh, is it, you know, uh, an interest that grew over the years. And he wrote some a few books about Zen Buddhism. And he tried in his life to find, you know, common ground between Eastern religions and Western. And then he had an opportunity towards the very end of, of his life. Of course, he didn't realize it was the end of his life because he died suddenly, which you've described um, <laughs> in our biographies episode. Um, right. But as a matter of fact, this this it's a journal he kept on his travels to the east, and he he ended up he, unfortunately he was tragically killed, he was electrocuted on this trip. So it's the final journal that he left, and it, and it but he was in Asia for I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to say something like six weeks or two months. He was in Asia for a long time, kind of touring around, and so this is a journal that he left, and it goes right up to the final entry is two days before he was accidentally electrocuted in his hotel room in Bangkok, Thailand. So this is a journal and and Merton is an an amazing writer. So, you know, uh, anything that he wrote is worth reading, but this is a journal he kept of this trip, which was kind of the fulfillment of a lifelong dream in a sense for him. And he traveled extensively through uh, Thailand, 
India, some parts of uh, Sri Lanka, and a little bit of Japan. And he just, you know, is jotting down all kinds of, you know, accounts of his meetings with various, you know, sages and gurus and of, of different religions. He has he has three days of meetings with the Dalai Lama himself, and he and he uh, recounts those meetings. It's very fascinating. Of course, it's the same Dalai Lama who's still alive today, but he's a much younger man then. And along the way, you'll find it very interesting. He comments here and there on on. Uh, events happening in America. He talks about uh, Jackie Kennedy getting remarried in Greece. He, he mentions the uh, Nick, President Nixon being elected. So, mm. yeah, it's really interesting on a number of levels. There are portions of the, of the book where he kind of gets deep into his own understandings of Eastern philosophies, and it gets very dense. And some of those thickets are difficult to... Uh, hack your way through, but there's so much in the book that's interesting. And, and of course, you know, not the least of which are just his descriptions of being in the Himalayas, for example, or traveling through Delhi or Calcutta, his impressions of the city of Calcutta. It, it, you know, it's just fascinating. And when you have a writer as, as talented and as descriptive as he is, and with such a deep mind, such an incredible thinker, it, you know, can't fail to be interesting. So I have a ways to go in the book because, as you said, it is a thick book, but it's it's been fascinating so far. So, well, I mean, to, to, just to comment real quick, uh, the, um, it took me a while to figure this out. As you know, I'm a big fan of Thomas Merton, and so are you, and so is our late father, et cetera, et cetera. But um, in fact, he's the guy who introduced him to us. But I, it, I, I was starting to say it took me a while to figure this out, but but late late Merton in my opinion, is where you really get some of the, where he really gained over the last, you know, decade or so of his life and wisdom. And he was always an incredible writer and able to articulate so many complex things so well. But the later part of his writings, and this is like literally at the very end of his life, are, are quite rich. I'm sure they're difficult, but I, I, you know, I bet you get a lot out of that. Yeah, it's really been really interesting to dive into, so. Yeah, I, th I figured you'd appreciate that one. So, uh, and with that, you know, all we have left to do is to tease the next episode of Book Exchange Podcast. But we're not going to do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to leave our listeners in suspense a little bit. We, you know, just a peek behind the curtain. We've had we've had a busy couple weeks. I know, uh, without getting into the details, I know uh, on Jude's side in particular. Um, you know, his family's been uh, dealing with some things. Everybody's okay, but they, he's had a few complications in his schedule. And uh, so things have been very busy. We have not had the chance to really, uh, you know, we, we have a number of topics that we usually kind of kick around and we just haven't had the chance to have that discussion yet. So we're rather than push it and kind of force ourselves to choose something, um, we're going to figure that out over the course of the next few days. So we, we, we can't unfortunately announce it here. We would, you know, uh, recommend that anybody who's interested, you know, for a little sneak peek of what we will be doing on the next episode, check out the description for this podcast. Um, and usually at the at the bottom of that, we'll usually have written in there what we're going to be discussing for the next one. So we have some ideas. We just need to narrow one down and we just didn't get the chance to do that before we recorded today. So uh, we're going to leave. Yeah, we just didn't have just didn't have a clear winner. So we're going to. We're going to mow it over a little more and then we'll have one. Yep. We're going to leave you hanging here in suspense a little bit. So 
Anyway, with that, I think we've come to the end of the line. Unless, uh, Jude, anything, any final thoughts or anything you wanted to add to that for the next episode? Or should we tie it all up in a nice little ribbon? No, nothing on the next episode. I do want to compliment you on today's discussion, though. I, I know I was a part of it, but it was a really rich one. I think it helps us when we have some points of dissension. I thought you made some very interesting points that I'll be mulling over, you know, in the future with regard to there, there. Well, thanks, man. You know, and same for you. Like, I, we, we just bring different perspectives. And, you know, again, I, I just don't I, I don't often think of them the way the book is like like the thing you said at the end. Like, I, that's going to haunt me now. It's like, wait a minute. How many bullets were being fired there? He's right. You know, that doesn't. <laughs> it's like it's like when I watch a movie with my wife and she picks up on all these plot points that I missed. And I'm like, you know, damn it. How did you how did you know that? She's like, well, he said it like an hour ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> but uh um anyway yeah it, it's it's been it, funny thing is we never even mentioned by the way why why the book is called there there <laughs> and i thought yeah i know i thought about that i thought that was just really briefly i thought that was very interesting too because uh it comes from a famous i guess a famous quote from uh oh was it Glo- who was it now uh gloria steinem no 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 gertrude stein oh gertrude. very different yeah, very different. Gertrude Stein, who was from the city of Oakland, and um, she was she had gone back to visit it, I guess, after a number of decades. And, you know, she was reflecting on it. She's like, yeah, um, help me out. How did she put it? Do you remember? Um, I've got it in my notebook here, if I can find it, if you just give me like a brief second. Um, but basically, well, you know, I, I don't even know if I have to say it because it, it, I just wrote it down. But she basically, I was just wondering if she was the, the original person that coined this ter- term. She was describing Oakland itself. And right. she just kind of said, there is no there there talking about Oakland, right. you know. But uh, it, but also, uh, interestingly, I don't know if you remember this. He also pointed out that it was a, a Radiohead song. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> But I just thought, you know, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. You know, here we are picking up the discussion again. But to me, that's that's another example of how he was able to tie into. I just thought it was very interesting to tie that that quote about the city of Oakland, which he happens to be from, by the way. There's no there there, and to kind of take that and extrapolate that out or apply that to Native Americans in general. You know, the fact that they used to have this thriving culture in this country, but there's no there there anymore. They can't go back to that. Yeah, I like that. You know, I thought that was a cool thing. Yeah, I, I got to compliment him on that. Yeah, I thought that was that's just an example of how he was able to, I think, make make you know, talk, make connections between contemporary history and and the history of his people. So I, that's just worth noting here at the very tail end. But anyway. That's all, folks, like Looney Tunes. Thank you for listening, Jude. Great discussion, and uh, we hope you join us for the next episode, episode 18 of the Book Exchange podcast. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Keep tuning in. We appreciate you listening. All right, take care.